Anyway, it's been an amazing eight years. I don't have any announcements about leaving, so that's not why I'm saying this. Um, but actually, in all honesty, like, this has just been, uh, this church has been refreshing to my soul. Um, it's a church full of grace, a church that abounds in generosity, uh, and a church that values at least me and my family, and, uh, and I sense that. And so I just want to thank you for this, and uh, I think that as we begin this next, I guess, August to August year, I think there'll be a lot of things that, that God is really continuing to lead us. And one of the things that I love about this church and what I've noticed from time is that this church really values its members, its brothers, and its sisters. And I really like that this church, that you'll, you'll have a vision about something, and then you'll do everything it takes to pursue it. And uh, I brag about you all the time, and I'd love to take credit for all the amazing things that happen in this church, but I know that it's all because God is, is filling your soul, filling your spirit, and you're, and you're just outpouring what God is already doing in your lives. And so I just want to thank you for being an amazing church, for being a loving church. And uh, I would say to eight more years, but I don't know if you can handle eight more years of me. So, uh, But what we can say is that as long as God continues to um, allow us to move forward together, then we are, we are happy to be here with you, and uh, thank you for that. So let's, um, let's bow our heads with prayer. Heavenly Father, you truly are a God of wisdom beyond our understanding. And we ask that as we continue our sermon series on growing together, that this morning when we look at this passage, that you would speak into our lives and teach us about the things that need to be denied in our lives. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We began this sermon series, I don't know, a month ago. And we talked about how it's important for us to value the next generation of people that come up behind us. And one of the things that we began to talk about is what does it look like for you to leave a legacy of faith to the generations that come after you? What does it look like to have a legacy of faith where you not only talk about what you believe about Jesus and what you believe about the Bible and what you believe about God, but that you then are able to share that with the generations that follow after you? And I love that this series has been good because one of the conversations, actually a couple of the conversations I've had is with people who said, you know, I never stopped to think that I could actually stop and say hi to one of these younger kids that I don't really know very well. And I said, you know, sometimes all it takes is a hi or a good morning. Sometimes it takes many, 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 many highs with our younger generations, right? Because they need to know, is this person trustworthy? Are they nice? Are they going to be kind? And so oftentimes we think, well, I said hi to them once. They didn't say hi back, so I'm not going to do it again. That's not how it works. With our younger people, they know that it takes time to build these friendships and these relationships. And so we encourage you to continue to pour into the lives of these kids. And even if it's just a happy Sabbath, good morning, hi. I, and if you're brave, I would say ask them, hey, how was your week? They'll probably say fine, but that's all right. It's what happens over time that builds those relationships. And so we are continuing to look at what does it mean for those of us who are advanced in age to leave a legacy of faith to those that come 
after us. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I love taking assessments. I don't mean like school exams. When I was in school, for those of you who are still in school, I disliked school. I was terrible at it. I mean, I still graduated with a, over a 3.0 GPA, which is okay, I guess. I got into college. But I hated exams. I hated assessments. I hated all that kind of stuff in school. But as an adult, where it doesn't really matter, like where you, these, you know, these assessments on leadership, personality, your Enneagram, your judgment index, all of these, they don't actually give you grades. They just give you a peek into what your personality is like or what your Enneagram type is or whatever it is. And, and it just gives us more insight into the kind of person that we are. And these companies that make these assessments are really smart because I have yet to receive an assessment that says, you're terrible, you should quit your job. It just doesn't happen. All of the assessments that I've taken, which have like a ton of them, have all been like, hey, you're really great at this, 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 and this. And then it'll say like, this might be an area of growth for you, but they always focus on how good I am as a leader. Some of you are like, let's look at that assessment together. <laughs> but that's what these assessments do. They're trying to make money, so they want to give you positive feedback so you can tell your friends about it. But I love assessments. I love learning more about myself. But, you know, I think we all do assessments on a daily basis. Maybe we don't take a quiz online. But we always have this sense of assessing how good was I today. Maybe we don't say it in those words. Maybe we say things like, how good of a Christian was I today? How much did I live up to my calling in Christ today? How holy or how good or how well did I follow scriptures today? And usually when we have these assessments, instead of being positive, we have this sense of, oh, maybe I didn't do as good as I wanted to today. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But I have a sense that we all spend many of our days Oftentimes looking back over our day and saying, I wish I hadn't done that, or I wish I had been better at this, or if only I had. And we have this sense that maybe we're not that good. And sometimes we apply that, or oftentimes we apply that to our relationship with God. And what ends up happening when we apply this negative self-concept of ourselves to God is that instead of bringing us closer, sometimes it takes us further apart. And so this morning, I want to look at one key area in our life where if we look at this, we can make an assessment, not about our leadership, not about how good of a Christian we are, but it is one area that Jesus talks about where if we are able to accomplish this, then everything else falls into place. So I invite you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. And we're going to set up the story, and then we're going to spend a few moments in this one area where Jesus says, if you do this, then everything will be opened up to you. So Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, and Jesus says, From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Now, when this is, like, Jesus is having a conversation about how he's going to die. To give you some context, his cousin John the Baptist had been killed two chapters earlier in the story. So when Jesus starts talking about, hey, 
I am actually going to die and I am going to suffer. There's very real like emotions tied to that because John the Baptist, who the Bible tells us had come to prepare the way for Jesus, this guy who had his own followers, who was pointing people towards Jesus, he had actually been beheaded, like the worst possible. I mean, maybe there's other bad ways to die, but like he was beheaded. All right. So when Jesus starts talking about this, his disciples are probably like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, Jesus. Are you telling us you're going to have the same fate as John the Baptist? Now, this probably wasn't the first time that Jesus had talked about this, but it was now real because they'd seen it happen to someone else. And Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. Peter, if we could choose an all-star of the disciples, Peter was probably one of the all-stars in the early church movement. He was one of the guys that was going from place to place trying to convert and trying to convince people that Jesus was the Messiah. If there was an all-star, Peter was that guy. And what we would find later in the story is that Peter is, in a sense, one of the main characters in this story but he doesn't fully grasp the entire reality of who Jesus says that he is. And so Peter takes Jesus aside and he rebukes him. Have you ever been rebuked? Do you know what the word rebuke means? (laughs) It's not a word we use. It's like getting scolded, but harsher. Now, if Jesus was standing in front of you, would you rebuke Jesus? No, like we'd be afraid, right? Because wrath of God, we still believe in that. (laughs) Yeah, but Peter, who's supposed to understand the scriptures, who's supposed to know everything, who's supposed to be the kind of guy who prays daily, reads the scriptures daily. He's a pastor in a sense. He's a preacher. He's an apostle. This is one of the all-stars of the faith. And he pulls Jesus aside and he rebukes him. And he says, may this never happen to you. Now we know that if we didn't know the whole story, Death isn't something that we like to talk about or think about. And if you've lost someone that's close to you, we know that that is one of those harsh realities in life where it is as though you're walking through a wilderness and you don't know when the grief is going to end. So when Peter says that he doesn't want Jesus to die, he's saying, you can't. You're too good. Peter had once said that, you know, Jesus, we know that you are the Messiah. We know you are the one we were waiting for. But Jesus, but Peter doesn't fully grasp the immensity of the purpose and the mission of Christ. And so Peter says to them, may this never happen to you. A good sentiment that we would think of. But then look at what Jesus says. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me. What's that word? Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. And it's interesting that Jesus uses this word for an all-star of the faith. Jesus, remembering back to the time that he was in the desert, the third temptation, he tells Satan, get away from me, Satan. And now Jesus says to one of the all-stars of the faith, get behind me. Satan. He wasn't really Satan, but he was getting in the way of the bigger purpose and the bigger mission of Jesus in this world. And so for Jesus, there was going to be nothing that was going to get in the way of his accomplishing that which God had called him to. And it's interesting about this is that we would never rebuke our parents 
Yet Peter rebukes Jesus because his emotion was so strong for not wanting to lose Jesus. You know, it's interesting, and I, hadn't, I didn't read any commentaries about this, so this is just me trying to read myself into the story. But maybe Peter didn't want to give up the life that he had. Remember, Jesus was a public speaker, I mean, as well as being the Messiah, but he would gather, thou- I mean, pe- thousands of people would come from all over the region to hear P- uh, Jesus speak. Jesus had given the blind sight. He had fed thousands. He had cured diseases. He had exercised demons. I mean, Jesus had done it all. I mean, and, and these 12 disciples, they were his entourage. They were his people. Like, so when Jesus would come to town, yeah, there was some people that were haters that wanted him to be arrested, but there was a whole lot of other people that really loved Jesus, that wanted Jesus to be there. And his 12 disciples, remember, they were coming next to Jesus, and they were being treated just like rock stars. And maybe Peter didn't want to give up the fame that he now had. Again, I didn't read any commentaries, but I think the next story that goes in, the the next story that comes after this will lead us to a deeper understanding of the struggle that these disciples were going through. And so Jesus tells Peter, don't get in the way of who I'm trying to be and what I'm trying to do. And Jesus goes on to say, you are setting your mind not on the divine things, but on human things. You know, how many of you have been called to do something in your life, but you've allowed all these other circumstances to get into the way for what God has called you to do? Just as God calls Jesus, God is calling you to fulfill the purpose for which you were created. And you can't let anything get in the way. As people who are older in the faith, and I I include myself in that, I know I'm only 36 years old, but let's be real, I'm older than the kids now. But it is our task and our sacred journey to help the younger people who are coming up after us to learn to listen to the voice of God so that they can fulfill their calling. So what is this calling? This is right. Oh, here's the, the, the passage I forgot that I put in there. So when Jesus is telling Peter not to put his mind on earthly things, it reminds us of the, of the a passage in Isaiah where it says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. This is God speaking to the Israelites, to the people, and God speaks to us. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, for us as humans, just like Peter, and we can get mad at Peter all we want to, but we do the same. So many times we focus mo- mostly on these earthly things, on the things that we think are important now, and God is standing aside saying, like, you're thinking too small. You're not looking at the world in the way God looks at the world. And it's like that passage in um, the Lord's Prayer where Jesus says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But we don't think that way. We're always worried about all these other things. But what God is calling us to, he is inviting us to participate in what God is doing. And God is inviting us to see things in heavenly ways rather than earthly ways. And so when we focus on heavenly things, it refocuses our priorities. You see, when we're so busy just focused on ourselves, when we're so busy focused on everything I want, everything I desire, everything I need to get done, 
all of our attention, all of our focus, all of our resources go to fulfill what we want. But when we make Jesus our focus and when we set our minds on heavenly things, it refocuses what is truly important in our lives. The second thing is it does when we focus on heavenly things. And when I say heavenly things, I mean this relationship with God. It aligns your motivations with what's really important. You know, we have motivations of our heart to pursue things, to do things, to want things. But when your life is oriented towards pursuing God, it aligns your motivations who, to lift up God in all that you do and to give God honor and glory. When you set your mind on heavenly things, it aligns your motivations to the motivations of God. And the third thing you do is that when you focus your mind on heavenly things, it designates what you do with your time. And I was supposed to say, and money. <laughs> but I guess God didn't, you know, I'm just, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but when you focus on heavenly things, it designates what you do with your time, with your money, with your resources. It, it motivates you to live a life that is no longer just lived for yourself, but is lived for God on behalf of others. Now, some of you might be saying, well, pastor, that's a great interpretation. That's not what I took out of it. And if that's your, um, if that's if that was your uh, perspective, then I want to show you the very next passage where Jesus really brings this point home. And so, in the next verse, verse twenty-four, Jesus says, "Then Jesus told his disciples, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me." Remember, the story right before this was Peter saying, Jesus, may this never happen to you. Jesus, may this never befall you. May you never die. May you live forever. We want to continue to live this life. And then Jesus in the very next passage says, if you want to become my follower, Peter, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Jesus had explained to them that his death would be on a cross. That his ultimate purpose in this life would end, at least earthly, on that cross. So then Jesus says, if you want to truly be a follower of me, and all of you who are here this morning, I truly believe that you want to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So let me explain to you how not to understand this verse first. You know, I've often heard, and you know, you know how Christianity has these certain sayings or catchphrases that we use? And so, like, if you see someone that's going through a difficult time, we say things like, well, that's their cross to bear. Have, we ever heard, have, we, have you ever heard that? So, like, something that's negative in someone's life will say, well, that's their cross to bear. That's the wrong way to understand that pa this passage. Because for Jesus, when you bear your cross, it doesn't mean that something bad is happening to you. It's that you are intentionally following in the footsteps of Jesus and saying that I want my will to be like that of the Father's. I don't want to set my mind on earthly things. I want to set my mind on heavenly things. Now, here's the thing. When you set your mind on a relationship with God and on heavenly things and what God desires, it will affect the way you live your life here. It may change the way you live your life, and, and in fact, it will. But when you set your minds on the things that are, that are above, then it means that you are asking God to shape your will to be his will. So when you, shape, when, you, when you set your mind on heavenly things, 
It is saying it is no longer about what I want in this life, but about what you desire. And this is a hard message. This is one of those, and and this is another expression, (laughs) this is one of those come-to-Jesus moments in the Scriptures where Jesus is literally saying, okay, look, disciples. Like, he's talking to his disciples. He's saying, you 12 are good. Like, you're, you're my disciples. I selected you. You're coming along with me. But he gives them the choice. If you're going to truly follow me, you are going to pick up your cross and follow me. And what that means is you're going to deny yourself of what you think your life should look like. You're probably going to deny yourself from ever getting married, some of these guys. You're going to deny yourself from having this retirement account. You're going to deny yourself from having the house that you want. If you're going to literally pick up your cross and follow me, then it means that you are going to follow me everywhere I go and wherever I send you. You see, this is not a message that sits well for us. Because we do have 401ks. We do have investment accounts. We work extra hours to make sure that we have savings and pay our bills and have all of the nice things that we deserve. And yet Jesus says, like, that's fine. But if you're going to truly follow me, and if your will is truly going to be transformed, then some of the things that you might think are important are probably not as important as you're giving them their importance. And so Jesus says, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And this is one of those moments in Scripture where Jesus lays it all on the line. And he says to follow Jesus is going to feel sometimes, or at least at the beginning, like you're giving something up. But Jesus knows that even when we give up, we actually get so much more in return. And if you're sitting here thinking to yourself, this doesn't make any sense, I would encourage you to talk to someone that has gray hair in this congregation, or grayish, and ask them, tell me what it has meant for you to take up your cross, and I guarantee you they will have story after story after story about what it meant that they thought they were giving something up, but God gave them so much more in return. And I'm not talking about money. (laughs) I mean, it could be, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you allow yourself to be shaped by the heavenly things and by the godly things, your life is going to change, and when you follow Jesus, God will go before you, and he will provide for you, and he will allow you to fulfill that for which he has called you to. And Jesus says, for those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. And this is, this is like, if I could translate this into today's language, is this. If you try only to live for the life that you have here and now, and you want it to live, and, and, and you're just worried about earthly things, you may lose your eternal life. And the reason that he says this is because it's where your intention and motivation is, is what matters to God. It's a matter of the heart. And if we're only trying to build our empires and our kingdoms here, you will have a lot and you'll have a comfortable life, but it may not be the life that God is calling you to. 
And I know some of you who are visiting with us here this morning, you're just like, man, I, didn't, I came to be uplifted. <laughs> but the way to ascension in the kingdom of God is through descending first. And this isn't about us giving anything up. It is about God wanting to give us what true life really is about. That the best and the most abundant life is a life that is lived in relationship with God. And for some of us, that means that there are things in your life that you have to start denying because they're getting in the way of this relationship with God. I mean, look at the disciples. God cho- like Jesus chose these disciples to be his disciples, to follow them, and he still gives them the choice because Jesus knew that there was things that were getting in their way. And there are things that get in your way, and there are some things in your life that you are going to have to start denying. There are some addictions that you are going to have to start denying. There are some habits that you're going to have to start denying. There are toxic relationships that you're going to have to start denying. The path to following Jesus does cost something. And it does require us to let go of things if we're going to truly live a life that is connected to Christ. Now please understand me, this is not a sermon about salvation. This is a sermon about the Christian life. This is a message for those who are saved. This is a message for those of you who have accepted Christ. This is a message for you who understand what it means that Jesus forgave you on the cross. This is a message that comes after that message. Like, this is the message that, like, Jesus saves you. He loves you. He's going to provide for you. He's going to love you. He's going to take you to heaven one day. But this is the message that comes after that that says, but now it's time for you to get some skin in the game. And there's going to be some things that are going to change in your life if you're going to set your mind on the heavenly things. And some of you might be saying, like, well, I want to do that, but it sounds too hard. And the reality is, is that we can't do this on our own. For those, of the, for those who are older in this, gener- in this congregation, they will tell you that the things that seemed insurmountable, they were somehow able to conquer. And I have a sense that every one of those people would say this, it was only through God's help that I was able to do that hard thing. And the truth is, is that Scripture will back us up. Paul in 2 Corinthians says, if anyone is in Christ, which means if you believe in Jesus, right? Remember we said the first conversation is Jesus saves, Jesus forgives you, right? So if you, that, once, you've, once, you've, once that hurdle has been crossed, which Jesus did for us, it says if you have faith in Christ, then you are a new creation, Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. You see, God is in the work of recreating you. You know, I know that I had fun with this illustration in the beginning about how much I like assessments, but an assessment can only do so much. It is only through the Spirit of God that you are renewed and that you are transformed and that you are then able to pick up your cross and follow Jesus. You see, the life of faith and the life of Christianity is one that is fueled by the Holy Spirit. It is a life that is fueled by the Spirit that will help you to accomplish that which God has called you to. And I know that we're some of you who are, or all of you who are sitting here this morning, there's something that God has placed in your heart that you have been making excuses for why you haven't done it. There is something that God has put in your heart that you think about when you go to bed, that you think about in the morning, but for whatever reason, you've allowed other things to get in the way. And this message is for you, that if God has put a calling on your life, that you are to pick up your cross. And what that means is that you are supposed to deny the things that are getting in the way. 
the things that are stumbling blocks, the things that are the Satan get behind me type things. You have to get rid of all of that so that you can follow the path for which God has called you to. You see, this is what's so exciting about Christianity is like, you don't know how it's going to turn out. I mean, we know how the story turns out, but I mean like your own life. (laughs) You don't know that the thing that God has called you to may shape the lives of the people that are coming after you. For the Christian, you never just live for yourself. You always live for those that come after you. The life of Christian discipleship is not just about knowing the Bible, but it's about letting the scriptures inform how you live your life so that others will be brought to Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly God, you are a God who who loves us so immensely, who provides for us all that we need. And Father, for those who are sitting here this morning who think to themselves, well, I I want to pick up my cross. I want to do that thing that God is calling me to, but I'm afraid. God, to those people, I ask that you would give them the spirit of courage, that you would give them your affirmation, and that you would give them this knowing that it is you who walks through them, with them, and helps them. Give us your spirit of faith. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.